1 Kings 18, 17. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many and call on the name of your God and put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till evening saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped upon the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud for he is a God. Either he's meditating or he is busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their customs with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sayas of seed. That's about 18 quarts. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Then he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and it also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The Apostle Paul wrote the words of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote this to a young man, a young pastor, who was also his son in the faith, Timothy. These verses were written many, many hundreds of years ago, yet they record the headlines of our day. Let me give them to you. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. 
For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power from such turn away. Why does it seem as if the world we're living in is coming apart at the seams? There's a simple explanation. It is because there is a spiritual conflict raging in our world. We're not involved in a physical battle. We're involved in a spiritual battle. The enemy has declared war on the church. I believe that this is the most intense war that we've seen in my lifetime and in my 30 plus years of being a pastor. This is the most intense war. I feel it every day. I felt it for the last few days and I have to worship. I have to pray. I have to get into the word to get that thing off of me. What the enemy wants to do is put oppression and heaviness on you and to suppress your prayers and suppress you to keep you from exercising your faith. But I've come by to tell you that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I didn't come to give glory to the devil. I come to pronounce that Jesus Christ is Lord today. Ephesians 6.12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In 1 Kings 18, there's a record of the physical battle that took place between the prophet Elijah and the prophets and priests of Baal. The Old Testament physical battles give us insight into the spiritual battles that we're engaged in today. The natural battles represent spiritual warfare that we are engaged in in the New Testament church. The Apostle Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Our nation is under attack. Our values and beliefs are under attack. Our homes and our families are under attack. We're involved in a last day spiritual struggle. If you watch the news and look at the world with natural eyes, you'll be tempted to give up and declare that our nation is hopeless. But don't give in to the discouragement and the despair today because our God is a God of victory. He's a God of hope. My wife put a scripture up that simply said, fix your hope. We got to fix our hope today in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you examine this passage of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 18, there are three important lessons that are found in these verses that will enable you to overcome in your spiritual struggle. First of all, there's a challenge. In 1 Kings 17, 1, we're introduced to Elijah. The name Elijah means, my God is Jehovah. You see, Jehovah is the covenant name of God. He's Jehovah our healer. He's Jehovah our victory. He's Jehovah our banner. He's Jehovah. He's our shalom, our peace. Listen, the name Jehovah is the name Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. It's the name that he revealed himself to Israel through. And of course we know that Jesus is the name of the Lord that we serve. And we have power today to overcome in the name of Jesus. Elijah is called God's no-name prophet. We don't see anything about his pedigree. He just comes out of the wilderness and he pronounces a drought on Israel because of the wickedness of Ahab and Jezebel. In 1 Kings 18, 1, God spoke to Elijah to go and present himself to Ahab for a showdown on Mount Carmel. In verses 5 through 16, we learn how desperate things had become. For three and one half years, there had been no rain and things were dire. Elijah presents himself to Obadiah, who is the servant of Ahab and then to the king. 
in 1 Kings 18, 17, he said, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord's and have followed the Baals. Have you ever noticed that the world believes that we, believers, the church, that we're the problem in our society? The Bible says we are the salt of the earth. The Bible says we're the light of the world. We're not the problem, we're the solution. I'm going to say that again. The church of Jesus Christ is not the problem. As a matter of fact, if you read 2 Thessalonians, you find out that the church is a restrainer. Listen, this church has been here for over 100 years. 104 years we've been right here in this community. You know what we've been doing? We've been restraining evil. We've been restraining wickedness. We've been guarding the gate into this city. Can you imagine the evil that would multiply and explode in this city if the church was not here in this city? We're not the problem today. We're the answer. We're the ecclesia of God, the ones who are called out. And we are to take our place in the heavenlies and begin to legislate in the heavenlies. Verse 19, here's the challenge. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. There's a challenge in our land. The enemy's issued a challenge to our families, our city, and to your church. I believe corrupt lying media. I believe they're the prophets of Baal. I believe they're spewing out the words of Jezebel. And they're operating under a spirit of Baal. I'm just telling you what I feel in my heart and what I believe in my spirit. I'm not against anybody this morning. I love all people. Listen, I wouldn't turn anybody down. I'll pray for anybody. I'll love anybody. I'll reach out to anybody. But the enemies come into this nation and we've got to rise up in the name of the Lord. The spirit of Baal is on the loose in the United States of America and it's time for the church to arise in the power of the Holy Spirit and say, not in my house. Eating at Jezebel's table. Satan exists to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10, 10, but listen. He wants to steal your integrity, kill your testimony, destroy your family. But this same scripture teaches that Jesus has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan challenged the Lord on the mountain of temptation. In Matthew 4, it records the temptation of our Lord. And he tempted him. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. How did Jesus overcome temptation? He said, it is written. That's why we got to get this word down inside us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We got to get this faith down inside of us. We got to get this word in us today, church. We got to take our stand and we stand on this book right here. I'm not standing in my emotions today. If I went by my emotions, I'd just give in. But I'm not standing in my emotions. I'm standing on this book. I'm standing on the promise of God. I'm standing believing that he made me more than a conqueror through him that loved us. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If any man come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Satan challenged Jesus to bypass the cross. He offered him an easy pathway to supremacy. Satan's desire today is to offer you supremacy without the cross. Listen to what he said in Matthew 4, 9. All these things I'll give to you if you fall down and worship me. This is power without a price. Ahab and Jezebel had decimated the worship of Jehovah. They had killed the prophets of God. They had banished the priest and replaced the worship of the true God with the worship of Baal. We live in a day much like that day. Baal worships alive and well in our nation today. Did you notice in the text that I read to you that they cut themselves? We've had an epidemic of young people and people cutting themselves. What is that? That is a spirit of Baal. 
Baal worship is characterized by three things. Let me give them to you. Number one, worship of the environment. Worship of the environment. Do we need to take care of it? Yes. We don't need to dump nuclear waste and all the stuff that we do. But we don't worship Mother Earth. We worship Father God. Homosexuality and perversion were glorified. Listen, that's celebrated in our nation today. But it's wrong. It's sinful. And listen, I love, I love people and I want every person that's bound by that spirit to be set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. And third is the shedding of innocent blood. That sounds like tonight's news broadcast. And Leviticus 18 teaches that two of these three things will defile the land and bring judgment to a people. But I believe that we, the church, have been issued a challenge by the dark powers of hell. It's time for us to arise, shake ourselves from our slumber, stand tall, proclaim the word of God without fear and without compromise. This generation has been targeted for destruction. The battles we fight are for the seed. Some time ago I realized the battles we engaged in, it's not about me, it's about the next generation. Satan desires to destroy our children. He wants to divide your family in order to destroy your faith. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Romans 13, 11, and knowing the time that now it's high time to awake out of your sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we believe. Ephesians 5, 14, Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We must arise from our sleep and answer the challenge that is before us. God is calling you, South Greenwood, to answer the challenge and become salt and light in a world bound by darkness. There's a challenge, but notice, secondly, there's a conflict. Verse 21 gives a record of the sermon preached before the people of Israel on Mount Carmel. I've been to Mount Carmel. In 2015, God allowed me to go to Israel. And we didn't go on a tour where we got on a bus and off a bus. We went with a couple that had lived in the land and knew the land, and their ministry was to take people and introduce them to the land. So we went to all kinds of places that tourists don't go. And when we went to a certain place, if we felt to stay there for a length of time, we stayed there for a length of time. And they told us, they said, everybody that comes to Israel, there's a place in Israel where God deals with them and God touches them and that becomes a memorial place in their life. One place was a, a little chapel there on the shores of the Galilee. It's called Peter's, the precipice of Peter. It's the place where Peter was restored by the Lord. That was a very special place. But when I went to Mount Carmel, I encountered God on that mountain. If the Lord allows me to go back to Israel, I'm not going to Jerusalem first. I'm not going to Galilee first. I'm going straight to Mount Carmel. I stood there on that mountain in the very place where this showdown took place. And they have a little statue of what they say Elijah was. He's bald. He's a little short guy. He's not a big muscular guy. He's not a big guy that looks like somebody that would be on television in Hollywood. He, he's, just a, he's just a regular person. But there was something different about this Elijah. He had fire in his eyes. He had the fire of God in his heart. He had the anointing of God on his lips. And here's what he preached. He said, how long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, serve God. If Baal be God, serve Baal. I hear the Lord saying this morning, how long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, sell out. 
Give Him your all. Come to Jesus. Make Him Lord of your life. But if Baal be God, serve Him. I've got news for you. Baal's not God. I'm going to prove it to you here in just a moment. Come on, somebody, and give God praise. The classic challenge of Elijah. How long halt you between two opinions? It betrays the double-mindedness of the people. We must follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Our God demands total commitment. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Spiritual conflict demands total commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time for the church to make up her mind to completely follow the Lord. Look what Elijah did. I'm almost finished. Verses 23 and 24. Therefore let him give us two bulls. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. 2 Timothy 2, 4 says, No one entangled in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. How many of you realize that we're in a battle? We're soldiers of the cross and the army of God. Elijah issues a challenge, then he enters into a conflict. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12, I read it to you earlier, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our conflict is against the enemies of our God. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Elijah graciously allowed the prophets of Baal to call on their God first. Now, I've been thinking on this. He didn't bait them into this challenge. They went into this challenge not hoping that their God would answer by fire. They went into this challenge deceived, believing that their God would answer by fire. The enemy knows how to counterfeit miracles. The enemy can do sleight of hand. The enemy has power, but his power is microscopic compared to the power of God. I don't know if God had answered them by fire or not. The Lord reminded me of this. When Moses went before Pharaoh and he laid down the snake, they, his magicians came in and they laid down their rod and it became a snake. Remember that? They believed that they could call on the name of their God and their God would answer by fire. Let me tell you why he didn't answer by fire. Because God shut him down. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And Elijah said, I'm going to let you go first. Many in the religious world are calling on a dead God. Verses 26 through 29 records the priors of the prophet of Baal. They were calling on a dead God. But we serve a God who's alive. He has all power. And listen, they cut themselves with knives. They leaped on the altar. They prophesied for six hours. And verse 26 says, there was no voice. No one answered. And Elijah starts taunting them. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe you can get his answering service to pick up. Six hours. Six is the number of man. Shows the futility of man. Shows you that man without God is hopeless. This idolatrous God had no voice. It's imperative that we are in a place where we can hear the voice of God. Fifteen times in the New Testament, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Hebrews 3, 7, today, if you'll hear his voice, God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? 
But then verses 30 through 38 record the prayer of Elijah, and he prayed a short prayer. Verses 31 and 32 reveals that he rebuilt the broken altar. When we rebuild the broken altar, it'll bring revival. The most important thing that we do in this church is not preaching, it's not singing, it's not the meetings that we have, it ought to be prayer. And the best attended meetings that we have ought to be the prayer meetings. When we call a prayer meeting, this place ought to be filled with people praying and interceding and crying out to God. And if we don't now, we're going to be in a place where we have to later. But God visit us with mercy today in Jesus' name. Why do we need to pray? Well, Ephesians 6, 18, praying always. Luke 18, 1, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Verse 32, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Verse 33 said he put wood on the altar, laid it in order. Wood represents humanity. God says you've got to lay your all on the altar. We must place our lives, our dreams, our talents, our abilities, our gifts, our finances, our goals, and our aspirations on the altar of God. I've had to come to a new place of commitment in my own life over the last few months. I've had to come to a place in my own life where I said, Lord, I'm willing to lay my ministry down. I'm willing to lay my life down. I'm willing to lay down all the things that I felt like I need to lay down. And I've got to be willing to risk all of that to do the will of God. That's where I'm at today. I'm laying my all on the altar. He cut the bullock in pieces and he laid it on the altar. Many of you have been cut in pieces by the enemy of your soul. Spiritual conflict has attacked you. You've come against things. And it's left you fragmented and fractured and broken. Listen, take all them fractured and fragmented and broken pieces and put them on the altar of God today. And watch the fire of God come and touch the broken places of your life and refine you and renew you and revive you and heal you. Spiritual conflict we're engaged in has left us fragmented and torn at many times. The Lord wants to put the fragmented pieces on the altar. Verses 34 through 35 says he took four barrels of water. Think about that. You asking God to answer by fire? Wet wood don't burn. He puts four barrels of water on this altar. What's that represents? That represents the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That represents pouring ourselves out as a drink offering. The Bible said it ran down off the altar and, and into the ditch around the altar. In verses 36 through 37, records the prayer. 63 words. He prayed a simple prayer in public because he had made preparation in private. And then the fire of the Lord fell. Listen to what it did. It consumed the burnt sacrifice. It consumed the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. This wasn't a natural fire that fell. This was a supernatural fire that fell. I'm praying for the supernatural fire of God to fall in this house. I'm praying for the fire of God to come in this place today. I'm praying for the fire of God to come into our hearts and into our lives. And shake us and shape us into the image and the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody give God a shout of praise in this place. Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. We need, our need today is for the fire of God in our homes, in our families, around our altars. Listen, some of the greatest times I have with the Lord are not in church. Some of the greatest times I have with the Lord the other night, I, I just thought I got to get out of the house. I got out in the front yard and I put my headphones on, my little ear pods, and I turned on some worship and I walked around that front yard and I prayed and I interceded. And let me tell you, the Spirit of God came down and the next thing I know, I was dancing in my front yard because I was worshiping. I was having a time with the Father. What are you saying? I'm saying get along with God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Notice last, the cause. 
There's a challenge, there's a conflict, but there's a cause. Why do we need the fire of God? Why do we need divine intervention? Why do we need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you why. So the world may know that our God is King of kings and Lord of lords. There's been a demonic assault unleashed against this nation. I'm in touch with pastors every day. I minister to pastors. They're under assault. Their churches are under attack. The enemy's coming against them. There's been an all-out attack unleashed. Why? Because we're at the door to the greatest revival that will usher in, I believe, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what God said to me? He said, I'll have the final word. He's going to have the final word. So I'm going to leave you with this this morning. Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. If you believe that, stand to your feet with me this morning. And we're going to pray.